Hello Gator Nation and welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Alvaverde. What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators. This week, we kick off our series on the best football teams in school history. And up first is the 1984 Gators. We will discuss that team with Robbie Andrew from the Gainesville Sun. He covered them at the time for the Sun Sentinel. So we'll get his thoughts on that season, how the Gators were able to overcome the sanctions early on in the season and the firing of their head coach, to win nine games in a row, we'll look back on some of the highlights and storylines from that season. Here was my conversation with Robbie this week. We're now joined by Robbie Andrew from the Gainesville Sun to discuss the 1984 Ford football team and relive some of the memories from that season. We put out our poll at the beginning of the week, and Florida fans spoke loud and proudly about that 84 squad and what they were able to accomplish. Robbie covered that team for the Sun Sentinel, so He'll give us some perspective and uh, stories from that season. Robbie, welcome back into Lockdown Gators. How's it going, my friend? Good, Zach. How are you? Just trying to quarantine like the rest of us. <laughs> Stay inside. That's right, man. Well, man, obviously we're going on a blast from the past here with this 84 team. Talk to me, Robbie, to start with, what was Florida football like back then? And I know you said in 83, I think the fan base kind of felt like the Gators were ready to turn the corner. What was football like and maybe the expectations going into that 84 season? Well, in fact, you know, when Pell first got here, they'd had that awful 0-10-1 season. He was left with nothing. And then he went out and recruited, but his recruiting tactics got him in all kinds of trouble. But it also loaded up the program with a bunch of talented guys. And, but, you know, by the 83 season, you could see they were heading in a, in a really positive direction with a talent all over the place. And the big question going to 84, the only one really was what was going to happen at quarterback because – Wayne Peace, who had started for four years, was gone, so they're going to break in a new quarterback. Supposedly, Dale Dormany, but he gets injured the week of the opener, and suddenly you've got a walk-on quarterback going against Miami, Kerwin Bell, who nobody really heard of then back then, only that he was for Mayo and a walk-on. That's about all they knew. So you also had a new offensive coordinator, Mike Shanahan, had left, and they brought in Galen Hall. When they got into that first game, Robbie, they played Miami, and the season before, they really took it to the Hurricanes. They beat them 28-3. to And like you mentioned, they have to come into the 84 season. And right out the gate, they lose to number 10 Miami. It was 32-20. to What were the thoughts on Florida at that point when they opened the season week one? They got a freshman quarterback. Although, from what I read, he did pretty well in that game against the Hurricanes. Yeah, it's like even though it was a loss, late in the fourth quarter, Kerwin Bell drove them down the field for what everybody thought might be a winning score. You know, Miami was so talented, they, they scored quickly, and then in the final seconds, they intercepted a pass return it for a touchdown. So that game was a whole lot closer than the score would indicate. And I think people realized then that this walk-on quarterback was going to be really, really good because he was surrounded by all kinds of talent. I mean, you're talking about, you look at the running backs on that team, Zach Neal Anderson, John L. Williams, Lorenzo Hampton, Frankie Neal, Ray McDonald, Ricky Natiel at wide receiver. And then, you know, the great wall, the offensive line that was probably – one of the best in school history. So you're looking at a guy that first game, he showed great character and he held up well and all that talent around him. He knew how to use it. And you could tell that from there they were going to, you know, they were going to have a chance to be pretty good. No doubt. And then they go into week two, Robbie, and a tie game, which for uh, Florida fans now maybe aren't used to that. Maybe they remember the choke at dope, but 
They had a tie that season, second week of the season against LSU. So right off the bat, Robbie, they start the first two weeks without a win. Yeah, 0-1-1, I think people were frustrated. And the heat was coming on Pell with all the NCAA stuff. So that season, at that point, you're wondering, you know, what in the world, where is it going to go? What's going to happen to this group of guys sitting here 0-1-1? And, you know, their coach is on an incredibly hot seat and, you know, close to getting fired. So it was the turning point came, you know, a week later after they blew out Tulane. That following Sunday, the word came, Pell fired 107 NCAA violations. So, it left Galen Hall as the interim head coach. And I'll say one thing about that, the whole coaching change there, Zach. Under Pell, Florida was always talented but seemed to play kind of tight. Once he was fired and Galen Hall took over the team, I think it lifted all that tightness off of them, and they started playing relaxed and with confidence and just took off from there. Obviously, to experience the coaching change after week three, thinking back on it, and I know you said there was a lot of buzz and rumors leading up to the first few weeks of the season. But, man, what was that like to see Florida football go through something like that? And maybe how tough was that on the fan base as well? Well, it was really tough, Zach. I mean, you got to get lost in the season a little bit, but you also look around with, you know, your coach has been fired. The NCAA is going to hammer you in the future. You know, at that point you wondered, despite all the talent on my team, where in the world was this program headed because there were going to be severe sanctions and everybody knew that so it was kind of a down but the one thing that kind of distracted from all that was how talented and how good this team was and how it got on a roll and people kind of forgot about that pushed that stuff aside and kind of really enjoyed that just from watching games and seeing that team get better and better every week we're speaking with robbie andrew from the gainesville sun robbie as the galen hall took over after week three in the 1984 season and the wind started to come at what point do you feel like media members and fans started to maybe have a sense that Florida was still going to have a chance to have a special year? Yeah, well, I think later in the year when they uh, dominated Georgia, you know, physically dominated a team that has traditionally been physically dominant. So I think at that point you saw where things were going and the, the talent on the team. There was so much future NFL talent there, and everybody knew it. And, you know, then they go to Jacksonville, and, you know, that's the big monkey on their back for so long in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, to beat them 27 nothing. that's just – everybody at that point was thinking, man, this team was really good. You know, maybe probably the best in school history even at that point. And by the last part of the season, Zach, I don't think there's any team in the country that could have beaten them. Especially, I mean, you mentioned the win over Georgia. They also beat number 11 Auburn, Florida State on the road, which was ranked number 12 at the time. So they got some really impressive wins down the stretch. Now, what was the status of – the sanctions and the penalties as the season played out, I mean, did the Gators already know going into it that they weren't going to have a shot to get some postseason opportunities? No, they didn't at that point. But, you know, that did happen at the end there. But, you know, the thing is, they when they won at Kentucky, that game up there, that, that clinched the school's first SEC title. But, you know, a few months later it got stripped from them. So they enjoyed that for a couple of weeks or whatever, and Gail Hall became the permanent head coach. But, Everybody knew what was coming, and it was bad. It was very severe when the sanctions hit. And the biggest thing was the scholarship cuts back. I think that one year, then 85, I think they only signed like maybe 10 guys, something like that, and that is just devastating. And it, and it turned out to be eventually. Yeah, obviously it caught up with Galen Hall in the year yeah. that followed. Now, that win over Kentucky, what was that like for Florida football and obviously for the fans? I know it got taken away, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah. for them to reach that milestone, especially given everything that had happened earlier in the year, 
and, and in the moment, it was huge. You know, you, nobody looked beyond just that game and winning that first conference title. At least everybody thought they had. And you know, traditionally, they played up there late in the year and was cold. And over the years, they had real problems with Kentucky. And it was a tough game, but you know, they were pretty methodical and, and wanted. The one thing I remember about the game, Zach, was the post scene thing on the field. You know, the players are celebrating and the Kentucky fans are flashing dollar bills at them and throwing stuff on them. And all they did was they just kind of opened their arms and just loved it. They taught us all you want. We just won the SEC. And that's my memory of it. And then we were allowed in the locker room back then, and it was quite a celebration. And, you know, Gail Hall was named the head coach in the locker room that afternoon. So it was a it was a memorable day for Florida football, even though, you know, it all got taken away later. Wow. So he actually – they made the decision to make him the permanent head coach after he beat Kentucky in the locker room. Yeah, the president announced to the media there and then that he was going to be the head co- permanent head coach. Wow, what a moment. I know. It was quite a moment, something you're never going to forget. And then, obviously, they go on the road the next week against their arch rival, beat Florida State 27-17. to At that point, where did things stand, and what was the expectation? Did people feel like Florida was going to be in position to maybe claim the national championship? Well, I think at that point, I think it had become obvious they weren't going to be bowl eligible because of all the – stuff coming down from the NCAA, you know, because it did come down. They were charged with 107 violations, you know, that third week of the year. So, you know, the New York Times, they had a poll back then, and they had Florida ranked as the number one team in the country. And, you know, not many people were arguing with them about that. And when you look at that year, Zach, I think BYU went on to win the national title by beating a mediocre Michigan team in a bowl game. So I think most people, if you look back on that year, Florida was the best team in the country. And, you know, probably the number one team in the country. And I don't, I don't think many people would dispute that. So when Charlie Pell was fired and those violations came to light, it wasn't immediately decided that Florida wouldn't get postseason opportunities that season. No, the penalty hadn't come yet. The penalty would come later on, the exact penalty. But, you know, I think the thing was they, they knew they weren't going to be bowl eligible right away because of that. But, you know, the, the penalties came down later after things were more thoroughly investigated. So. I know the first real negative thing came out of Destin when the SEC presidents voted to strip Florida of the title, which I don't think – I guess in retrospect we should have seen that coming, but it was kind of a big news drop at the time and kind of a bombshell. And reading up on it, it seemed like the fan base and, and the football team especially was really, really upset with that decision. Yeah, at that point, Zach, I think there was a lot of feel among big alumni and, and fans and leave the SEC. They kind of felt that they were being scorned by their own conference and felt they weren't getting treated fairly. There was a, a little bit of a movement to, I don't think it never was serious, but there was a movement or talk about, you know, why don't we just bolt on them? We don't need to be with them. We're speaking with Robbie Andrew from the Gainesville Sun. Final few things for you, Robbie. Once the dust settled and Florida knew that they had their SEC titles stripped, what type of stain did that have on Florida football? And I know that they had a really good team in 1985, but how long did that linger among the fan base and, and many people around the program for them to get over that hump? It took a, a few years. Like I mentioned that first recruiting year where they had maybe 10 guys in the class and, you know, probably half of those guys never even, never did anything. So, you know, you could see the decline was coming. In 85, they had all those receivers and Bell and they had to put up all kinds of numbers. All offense had another good year there. But then 86, it got a little bit tougher. They had a big win at FSU again, but you knew that Things were going to be difficult. But, you know, what kind of turned it around was in uh, 87 when they signed Emmett Smith and all those good players, Brad Culpepper, guys that would, you know, help Spurrier win his first SEC title here. So 
it was the two year, two or three years there where you felt things were uh, going the wrong way. And then, you know, uh, Gail Hall turned around with his recruiting and got Florida heading in the right direction. Only he had a misstep that led to him getting fired. So, which led to Spurrier being here, which changed everything. Yeah, absolutely. And then we know the dominance that he went on to have Urban Meyer and the championships that he won. And it's funny now in 2020 when we talk about Florida football and some of the best teams. For the old-time Gators, obviously they don't forget about the 84 team, but they don't get mentioned as much with the younger generation. And, and I yeah. think that it's important to point out, as you know, Robbie, there's a lot of folks that feel like this was, without a question, one of the best teams ever in school history. Yeah, Zach, I would put that 84 team against the other championship teams with Florida, and I would think that was 84 would have a good chance of winning all three of those games because if you look at that roster and guys along the NFL, that was one of the most – talented teams in Florida football history, without a doubt. And the way they closed out the year, winning those uh, nine games in a row like they did, it was very impressive. And like I said, at the end of the year, uh, nobody wanted a part of that team. No doubt. Final question for you, Robbie. This is not going to be about the 84, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Because we had a lot of talk, obviously, about Spurrier's teams, the 1996 team without question, the 1995 team, and the 2001 team. Those are – the three squads I think fans remember most fondly and talk about as best teams that Spurrier had. Outside of that, though, what team did Spurrier have did you think might have been his best outside of those three teams, if you really had to think back on it? 91, that, that was the first SEC. 98 was good. You know, they, they screwed up and lost to the Rooster up in Tallahassee. Otherwise, they would have been, you know, had a chance to go to the national championship game. So, yeah, 98 was good. Just finished it a little disappointing and, the thing about the Spurrier era, he had problems with FSU, especially on the road, and that kind of bit him that year. Obviously, with the quarantine, man, it's time to uh, look back on some of these years. So we appreciate the opportunity to do that with you, man. I'm really glad we could get your perspective on all this because those were those are some memories there in that 84 season that folks will never forget. Oh, yeah. Like I said, Zach, back then, writers were allowed in the locker room, so you really got the atmosphere, the feel for what it was like being around that team at the time. And they had a great run, no question about it. Appreciate Robbie for his time and perspective, and that'll do it for the latest edition of Locked On Gators. It was fun looking back on that 84 team. On the next episode of Locked On Gators, we will look back at the 1991 team with former Gators quarterback Shane Matthews. Make sure you stay tuned to Locked On Gators, your team every day.